it's, you know, definitely the sense of, you know, somebody's got to do it and, and it needs doing and we're like all in this together and this needs doing or we're all going to fail. Welcome to another episode of What It's Like to Be You. I'm Josh Levine, your host. Today, my guest is Dr. Mary Bates. Mary is a primary care doctor in Southern New Hampshire, and she's also a mother of two kids. She's married and she writes about philosophy, stoicism, and medicine. This episode really foregrounded for me how important the sense of duty and responsibility is for the six, the sense of concern, like wanting to do my part or make sure that the whole ship doesn't sink or that the world doesn't fall off the rails and the sense of if there's something that I see that needs to be done, then I will do it. I must do it. I must call it out or that call out that it needs to be done. Also, this episode really framed up for me slightly differently the issue of anxiety in the six. It kind of actually poked some holes in what I understood anxiety to be in the first place and opened up a question, which I'm still not quite sure I have an answer to. But the question is very interesting. What really is anxiety and how does that how does it manifest? Six is a mental type, and just to set this up in a kind of Enneagram pedagogy way, the mental center in the Enneagram is all about guidance and wayfinding, and how do I know what to do? The five's answer to that question is I can only trust the guidance that comes from within. The seven's answer is I take a sampling approach to life, and I will know what I need and when I discover it. And the six basically says, well, I'll just look for people who've traveled the path before or um, anchor myself to how-to guides and recipes and the manual, sort of the life manual. And in the absence of that, it can be very difficult for me to tune into my own inner guidance, even in micro instances, like for example, should I pull off the road right now to read a text message that may or may not be important, which is an example we're going to talk about in this conversation. We also spend a great deal in this episode talking about Mary's trifix, 692, and particularly the 69 stem that has a kind of religion of anti-narcissism. And I'm not that big a deal. I'm not trying to be too flashy or too standout-ish. Um, I'm just trying to serve the bigger picture and be a person who is being is a responsible member of society. And we also talk about just the whole constellation of 692 as being a perfect fit for Mary in her vocation as a doctor. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. And without further ado, please welcome my friend, Mary. Welcome everyone to another interview. I'm very excited to be with my new friend, Dr. Mary Bates. Hello, Mary. How are you doing? Well, thanks. Hi. Great. So let's frame this up. So you're typing, your full typing is self-press social 692 and it's mm -hmm. core six with a seven wing, correct? Yes. Yeah, that's right. Okay, cool. So I would love to start this by just hearing about your Enneagram origin story. So how did you learn about it? And I know that you went through a, a kind of mistyping journey, right? And then before you landed on your core type. And so I'd love to hear about that and how it's all sitting with you now. Okay. So I heard about the Enneagram for the first time about um, eight years ago. My husband um, has has been involved with the Enneagram for, for a couple of decades. And um, he told me about it. And I had um, come from a hard science kind of background. And so I had the idea that, you know, really anything associated with psychology was, was, was bullshit. 
And so I mm-hmm. had not, I would not have considered um, the Enneagram as, you know, even if I'd heard about it earlier, I would not have considered it as a thing worthy of, you know, my time as a serious person um, until, um, you know, until my husband suggested it to me, my then boyfriend suggested it to me. Um, and um, I took an online test and tested as a two. Um, and I was absolutely appalled when I read about twos. And um, because because of the whole manipulation aspect of twos, okay. um, I didn't see that that was a thing that I I could do I I at all it was completely outside of my image of what I might do um and you know it sounded pretty repulsive um and then um then I tested or then I I think I I think I took another I learned more about it and I think I retested or or maybe thought about it some more and um tested as a nine and mm-hmm. um thought it was a nine for a while and then I actually went back so this was probably maybe six months of each of these and then I went back to thinking no I probably really am a two um and I spent a lot of time there thinking I was a two and you know really finally actually doing some of the work like at first, you know, when you learn about Enneagram, it's kind of like a shiny new toy. And then, and I think I was sort of viewing it as like a shiny new toy for, for the first maybe year. And then after a while, I went back and I was like, oh, there's actually like some work I could do here. And I spent a lot of time working on two issues. Um, and I, I actually became, a, I became aware of the ways in which I am manipulative Hmm. Um, and you know, they're not, they're subtle. They're not, they're not, you know, it's not huge, but they're definitely there. Um, and I was able to definitely, whoops, dig those out of the subterranean part of my psyche and kind of put them on the top and make them into something I was aware of. And I, I Hmm. think, or maybe I just am fooling myself, but I'm definitely, I think when I'm manipulating people, like maybe or, or attempting to be manipulative, I think I'm aware of it, like maybe 80% of the time. Um, so that's pretty good. It was huge. Yeah. Um, and then I spent a lot of time thinking I was a nine, like probably another, we're probably on to, oh, maybe five years of thinking I was a nine, four and a half, well, whatever, somewhere around there, some, some, you know, fairly yeah. substantial chunk of time. It did a lot of work as a nine. And I, I think I have pretty, I mean, even still, I think I have a lot of pretty nine-ish tendencies. And um, I, again, I was able to improve my life significantly, make myself an easier person for the people around me to deal with. Um, and, then I started thinking, and now we're on to roughly, roughly a year and a half ago, I started thinking, really, is this, is this really right? Like, I kind of felt like, okay, I've, I've done, I've done a lot of work and this has been great, but really, am I like, is this it? Am I like, 
not like done, but like, there's like, it didn't feel like I was going any further. And, Mm -hmm. um, a couple of my friends had been, had sort of undergone typing journeys themselves around this time, um, where they were, were, which made a big difference for them. Um, and, um, they, and I was like, oh, I, I wonder if, I wonder if I need a typing journey. Um, and so I, um, and, and about this time, I, I also heard about any, the Enneagram or Universe Facebook group and yep. um, thought, oh, this is pretty, this is pretty interesting. This is, you know, I wonder, I wonder what these guys would think of me. And I typed myself, or I made, didn't type myself, I'd made my typing video fairly soon after I joined the group and I, I posted it. And the feedback I got was, I think, it's roughly half and half, six and nine. And it was funny because I had not even considered six because um, I, I thought my tri-type was, you know, before that I thought my tri-type was probably nine to five. Um, it definitely had the two, definitely had the nine. I thought it was probably five for my head type. Mm-hmm. And um, you, Nicholas was talking about this as well in his Your Type 2 interview that you did a few of, you know, just before me, right. um, was talking about this as well, that really he thought like two was the prototypical human. And for me, it's like, well, when I read the descriptions of six, it's like, well, yeah, everyone is a six, of course. And six is just like a blank human being and other things are painted on top of it. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh. <laughs> which, you know, in retrospect, that is sort of saying, you know, you're a six deer. Um, but, but in my defense, I do want to point out that I think probably about three quarters of the world's population is six fixed one, either, you know, in their tri-type at least, or, and sure. probably 50% of the world's pop or of the, of my local population is six fixed. So I, in my, in my defense, I was looking at a lot of sixes. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Fair. Okay. So, um, <laughs> so, so I, um, Actually, um, just real quick, that just that moment right there was, first of all, great. And also six-ish in a sense that, do you know what I'm pointing at? Yes. Do you want to articulate, can you articulate it yourself? Do you, do you want to go there? No, I'd love to hear what you say. Well, I just, um, the, the in my defense thing, um, yeah. it, like rolling out the ways that, well, you know, I, I really did try to consider all the possibilities and this is where, I, and this is my head, you know. Um, and so that whole thing of like laying out the evidence, laying out my thought process, trying to like get on the same page with you, um, and the, in quotations, in my defense posture of, uh, of the six in a sense. Yeah. 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 I think it's, it's, it's interesting also, there's some, some component I think of sixes, like feeling like we're every man and in fact we uh-huh. are <laughs> yeah yeah well i guess the, um i just got more clarity on the point i was making it's like not wanting to be exposed for having not thought of something right yeah yes yes i've got yeah. all the yeah i've got all the angles covered and and right. yeah and this was a perfectly reasonable thing for someone to think under Absolutely. the circumstances. <laughs> it certainly was. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. And that's, that's definitely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll be saying that over and over again today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um, so, so you, so you got a typing video and you were typed as, yes. and then six, and that was surprising to you, right? Um, it was surprising to me. And part of why it was surprising to me is I did not, I mean, I told you the thing about like, well, everyone's a six, but, but also part of why it was surprising to me is the whole fear thing. That's not, and the anxiety thing, like, I, I know what anxiety looks like. I'm a primary care doc. I, you know, and, and anxious people have always been attracted to me. Um, you know, my, my, for whatever reason, my patient panel, my, my office mate used to attract depressed people and I used to attract anxious people. And that's just, you know, the way, the way it, it's the way it's always been for me is, is anxious people always, always come to me. Are always feel comfortable around me. It's, it's like, okay, I know what anxiety is. And, and in fact, I am, you know, I'm, I'm, I think of anxiety and OCD and depression. Now, now this is a part of my primary care talk, but I think of anxiety and OCD and depression is kind of like three faces of the same coin, okay, um, same three-sided coin. Yep. Yeah. And I, per, and I think most people who are, I think most people are prone to any of them can get all three of them. Um, but I'm, definitely prone to the depression OCD kind of side. And, and, you know, OCD is a primary care doc. That's great. You know, cause I'm never prescribed. I like, I'm double checking my, how, how many milligrams of that medication was I prescribing? Was that, you know, I'm like double checking everything. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, so it's, it's, you know, and there was one time in my life when I had an episode of anxiety about two or three months and, oh my gosh, it was horrible. Um, or at least this is what I thought this is what I what this is what I would have told you at the time is like I I'm not particularly prone to anxiety I understand what anxiety is and I'm not prone to it um more more recently I I had um I had this this experience where um my my dog was really sick she sort of kind of got sick out of the blue like she was one Saturday we went for a five mile hike and then a couple of days later, she um, had a urinary tract infection that we couldn't seem to get rid of. And, mm -hmm. and then it turned out the urinary tract infection was a bladder tumor. And, um, but during this course, I thought that I had injured the dog. Um, and I felt so horrible and like, so well, I just, I felt so horrible and I, I was really having a hard time thinking about other things. And, you know, I felt it physically and I was like, oh my gosh, this is how I used to feel all the time, 20 years ago. And over the years, I've done a bunch of work. I've gotten some people out of my life. I've, you know, cleaned up my, cleaned up my act, so to speak. And, mm -hmm. and the feeling kind of went away gradually, mm -hmm. but it, when it came back, when I, I thought I had, you know, done this terrible thing to my dog, turned out I didn't spoiler alert, thank heavens. Um, but when I thought I had done this horrible thing, I had all, all this anxiety and I realized, Oh, <laughs> I, I actually was probably anxious for the first 45 years of my life. And I just didn't notice it <laughs> because wow. yeah. 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 Or maybe not the first 45 years, but for a big, 
you know, a big, a big chunk of my life that I just was completely unaware of. And I had like these, you know, I had these, these little routines. I had my sort of OCD tendency kind of routines that soothed mm -hmm. me and I'm, I'm great at self-soothing. You know, I, I had, I had this upbringing where I, you know, essentially been without parents since I was seven. So I'm like, I'm great at self-soothing. I can, you know, I can be anxious and I can figure out how to get myself through it. But um, yeah, so I, I discovered much to my surprise that I actually had been anxious for um, a long time. This is just fascinating to me. And there's a lot about what you're saying that could be put a lot of threads that could be pulled. I just want to tie one thing real quick. Just, and we might get into this a little bit later, but the idea of you being a doctor and being a primary uh, or core type six, self-pressed social, and also 692, this just seems to be like a perfect match of that. That feels doctorish, you know, <laughs> to me. Yes. yes. And, you know, you've got the six, like thinking of all the things, the double whammy of being a self-pressed six, nine, harmoniousness, wanting everyone to be cool, okay, two, leaning in, taking care. That's mm -hmm. just a very um, doctorish healing kind of trifix. Right. So, right. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. Especially, you know, the, the self-pres six um, is really interested in life cycles and mm -hmm. trajectories of things. And that's sure. um, my kind of what I tend, what I do in primary care. I'm, I'm also board certified in palliative in hospice and palliative medicine. So mm -hmm. what I kind of specialize in is the over 65 set. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what we're doing is what's our trajectory here? What are, what are, what are the next 30 years going to look like? Oh, now that we've got this new thing, what are the, what are we, how are we going to adjust our view of what we think the future is going to look like? Right. And so. the, one other thing about the six there is the, I would, I would expect, I imagine that that gives you a certain kind of boost as a diagnostician, you know, the wondering like really figuring out what's really going on here that yeah. peering under the surface, looking under the hood, considering all the possibilities. Well, what about this? What about that? Yes, um, absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. And yeah. sometimes it's, you know, sometimes it's boost in a positive way. And sometimes it's like, would you just leave it alone? Damn it. You know, hmm. like sometimes I just yeah. cannot like, you know, I'm like, well, but we could do this. We could do this. We could do this. And it's like, no, sure. no, no, stop. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And that is a really interesting, that's a good segue into this whole anxiety conversation too, because this whole, the notion of, have I covered everything? Have I thought of everything? The angst that arises out of that. Right. Um, that's when we talk about anxiety in the six, I mean, part of this whole thing that you didn't, you kind of woke up later in life to the realization that you've been anxious this whole time <laughs> is, is fascinating to me because for so for so many sixes, anxiety is so foregrounded. It's just an obvious aspect of my existence. Right. And, and for you kind of realizing it, um, well, I wonder if there's just a reframing of the word anxiety or what, or a, a redefinition of what it means in terms of this kind of second guessing angsty space, or how would you, how'd you put it? Be, I guess it could be. I mean, I don't see it as, I don't see it as a second guessing angsty space. To me, that okay. feels different. To me, that is like looking behind the curtain, like what's really going on here? What's that's uh -huh. like curiosity and interesting and, and pleasurable. Like what's, you know, and when, 
when you figure out what's going on, like with a patient, when I'm the only person in the entire universe who knows why this person is short of breath, uh-huh. that's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, so I don't, I don't see that aspect of it as as angsty. Um, sometimes I, I, I haven't found the right word for me for six. Like anxiety doesn't exactly feel right. Fear doesn't exactly feel right. Although I'm, you know, I'm coming to see it. I'm coming to, I, I mean, I am coming to see it as I sit with six for a year now. Um, sometimes it feels like restlessness. Like sometimes I definitely do feel sort of restlessness, like, um, you know, and I've, I've, when I watch myself, sometimes I find like, we're, you know, I'll be doing something and then like, I'm done, I'm done doing this. I, I can't really even articulate why it is that like, what happened? Why did, why was this moment things were fine in this moment? It's I'm done, but you know, not like done, like, oh, this is terrible and must be stopped, but done like, okay, this activity is over and now we're on to our next activity. And there's, there's almost like a internal kind of clock inside that interesting that i i don't have any any handle on and when i deny that clock that says like it's not like i i play with this sometimes when i'm i'm when i'm firing all cylinders and really things are going well i can play with this clock and i can be like okay i can feel that i'm done like um the first time i was aware of this was i was brushing the dog i can feel that i'm done brushing the dog I have no idea why this is and the dog is fine and there's no reason that I should be, that I need to be done brushing the dog now. So let's just continue brushing the dog and see what happens, you know? And you, I can feel myself getting anxious. Like we're, we're done. It's, it's t- like, it's almost like, you know, like the inner committee, like, like, okay, we're done brushing the dog. It's time to brush. It's time to be done brushing the dog. Although they're not like voices, but they're, they're like, you know, just like this, this really really restless feeling in it it eventually you know you, you just they're there it's okay we're just going to brush the dog the dog is fine she's not objecting to being brushed and you know there's no place else you have to be right now just continue brushing the dog and see what happens and i do that a little while longer and it kind of goes away and now i'm just brushing the dog whoops this is okay there's a few things happening in my head right now one is i love this the direction of this conversation to kind of peer under the hood of what anxiety really is or search for a better word for it. Cause um, I agree. It does, it does feel sort of un, unpinned downable. That is a, that is maybe a facet of it is uh, the difficulty of even explaining it in a sense. Um, and it seems to me like this whole framing around being done brushing the dog versus is it, you know, is it time to be done? It seems like, at some point an inner knowing just surfaces and it's just, you're done. You, it's like, and I don't, what's happening in me right now. Partly I am trying to not invoke traditional Enneagram concepts. Cause I think there's a really interesting open sandbox that we've open, you know, created here in terms of what is anxiety really. Um, there is one concept though, that I think is, is interesting around the idea of inner guidance and how one, how, you know, like, for example, the question, how do you know it's time to stop brushing the dog? Um, how do you know? I don't know. There's right. no there's no recipe. There's no manual for it. There's no, it's just, 
you alone in your house with your dog and then you're doing something and you could choose to stop at a certain point and inner knowing arises and you stop. Um, and I wonder if that's, if what we're saying is copy paste that general question, like how do I know, for example, it's time to stop searching for another answer for a diagnosis? How do I know it's time mm -hmm. to stop searching for another, I don't know what possible routes on the way to the beach or, uh, right. how do I, or, or the right pair of hiking shoes to buy for this trip? Or right. How do I or know when to stop? Explanation this... for why this person was rude to me at the there grocery you go. store. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, it's a fascinating framing of, of this. How do you know when enough is enough in terms of your own, yeah. what analysis or something like that? Yeah, that's really interesting. That is really interesting. Hmm. I want to invoke one other thing. I'm cheating here, but I remember you wrote in the Facebook group of not too long ago about this thing that happened to you. I think this was you. Um, you were driving and you maybe passed an exit. Oh yeah. 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 No, I was driving and I wanted to think about something that someone had texted me. And so I, was like, okay, I, I don't want to like, look at my phone and try to find it, you know, while I'm driving, I'm, I do that sometimes, but um, I, I, it's not a good idea. So I try not to do it. So I'm like, especially on this particular road, it's kind of windy. Um, so I'm like, okay, I need to pull, you know, I need to pull off the road and I see a place that would actually have been perfect to pull off the road. And I'm like, oh, but that's kind of close to someone's house. And if I pull off there, what if the people feel like I'm being really weird and they come out and they're, they're like, you know, or they, what if they feel like, um, like I'm casing their house? Like, what if, they, what if I make them uncomfortable? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, these thought, well, they won't feel that, they won't feel uncomfortable. You won't be there that, that long. You, you know, you're, you're kind of far from their house. You're not super close and you're going to be looking at your phone and they can figure it. Oh yeah. This house is now, you know, three blocks behind me. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a particularly good, you know, it's particularly good because it really is like time sensitive. Like I, I'm not going to turn around and go back there. And, it, it, you know, when at the time I was like, oh yeah, this is, this is, this is overthinking, isn't it? <laughs> this is, yeah. you know, the way, the way I feel right now, this is the way I feel when I'm overthinking. I just love yeah. that as a microcosm. That's like, yeah. that's, that's the whole thing right there. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. six, that's, that's being a six, you know, yeah. right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 So what helps you with that? Um, so there's an expression I have one of, one of my, um, one of my, well, I, I think I, I can't remember if I said this on the camera or not, but healthcare is filled with sixes mm -hmm. and especially, especially six ones, six nines too, but especially six ones. And I, um, you know, so I've got a whole, a whole tool case of things that, that I use, um, you know, I sometimes have students as well. So I, I have these things that I use with students. And one of the things that one of my students, who's definitely a six, um, found really useful is I told her, well, you know, you, you just have to take yourself by the hand and do it, even though it's scary. And mm. I think that's, there's, there's really, I think that's good. 
Um, and I think that really speaks to, I think that really does speak to sixes. And, and that's sometimes I really do have the sense of like, um, you know, I, you know, or thinking about it, like from, from like internal family systems or something like, you know, my big sister has to take me by the hand and hold my hand while I do the scary thing. Um, and so sometimes that's, that's just what I have to do is I just have to do the scary thing. Um, you know, with whatever kind of internal help I can muster. Um, sometimes I really can think myself out of it. Um, you know, I, I, I think instead of, you know, going like, oh, well, it's too close to their house. You know, sometimes I really can go, it's not that close to their house. It's, you know, it's going to be okay. And I can, can like, you know, sometimes I really can talk myself out of it. Um, prepping for these things ahead of time, like now that I've had this experience of driving by a place that I could have pulled off and, and I didn't get to read the thing that I wanted to read, um, now that I've had that experience, I can think about, okay, the next time I want to drive off the road to read a text, make a phone call, whatever, I am going to err on the side of just pulling off. And see how that goes. You know, maybe huh. I'll air too far this way and then I'll need to swing it back this way, but that's okay. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's also really helpful. Um, and it's, it's really, um, when I was in my twenties, I did this exercise with myself um, where I was just like, I was, it was very difficult for me to do anything because I was afraid of making mistakes. Like, just well whatever um did i mention that my nine and my two both have one wings um oh okay yep yes so i was just like i really did not want to be wrong in any way shape or form and i um so when i was in my 20s i did this exercise with myself where i decided okay every day i'm going to make a deliberate mistake and i'm going to see how that goes i'm going to see what happens and whoa okay yeah and they would be like little mistakes. Like I would order a, I would order an iced tea and, and I'm going to fess up to it and ask for, you know, ask for forgiveness or say that I've made a mistake and I need to fix it and see how that goes. Like I would ask for, you know, I'd be in a, I'd, I'd make my order and, you know, I'd be like, oh, actually I made a mistake. I don't want a small iced tea. I want a large iced tea. And, you know, I'm sorry, I, I made a mistake. And, and it took me a while, but you know, now I, I actually view the fact that I'm willing to admit when I've made a mistake, I, I view that as, as, you know, on the plus side at the ledger of, of the way I deal with the world. I'm, I'm actually really very comfortable with making mistakes now, hmm. um, which is, you know, like to that point of like, oh, well, I'm going to, going to try and see what happens if I err on the side of, of stopping and, let's just see how that goes. If I err on the side of getting too close to people's houses for a little while, well, if somebody comes out with, you know, a shotgun, I'll be like, okay, I'm going to err this way now, you know? Uh -huh. <laughs> so, um, but that's, you know, yeah. I, this is interesting from the point of view of just what is, what is a practice? You know, what do we mean by a practice? And I think that it's, you know, there are the, traditional cookie cutter practices that have been around for thousands of years, like meditation, for example, right. which is great. Meditation is amazing. But mm -hmm. this is 
a really interesting customized practice for your own specific nervous system. You know, I just love it as an idea, like pull off the road, you know, or like make, make a deliberate mistake. Yeah. Thank Um, you. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Okay. I would love to uh, switch gears again and talk about reactivity. And I know that this is another part of you just rediscovering yourself in the, through the lens of sixness and kind of um, looking back on your life and realizing that you actually have been more reactive than you thought you were or something like that. Mm -hmm. Can you just talk about that and what that's been like for you? Yes. Um, So the, the, when you did your interview with Emika, the type eight, and he said, um, I'm, I'm a reactive type, so I'm provocative. Um, I was like, oh, I'm a reactive type too. Am I provocative? I was like, I'm provocative. Little old me is provocative. (laughs) Um, And so I spent some time thinking about that. And I was like, well, I'm not provocative. I'm like, if something needs to be said, I'll say it. Like that's, that's like, you know, but that's, that's not provocative, is it? Um, and so I think that was um, that was an interesting thing for me to think about is that n- no, actually, I, I am kind of provocative um, at times, although I wouldn't use that word for it. Um, and then I started thinking more about it. And I, um, I had a couple of, of realizations um, one of which was that I, I thought about my um, professional career and about, um, you know, like oh, 20 years ago, my first professional doctor job, the, um, I realized that my boss, bosses kind of thought of me as a troublemaker. Um, and I was like, oh, well, yeah, I guess that would be sort of something that a reactive person would do. <laughs> Um, because I was always like, you know, no, I can't, we can't see more people. No, we can't, you know, we can't do this. We can't do that. Like, you know, um, I don't know, like various, you know, we can't, we can't accept that kind of error rate in, you know, our electronic medical record or whatever. Um, and so I guess that, yeah, that's, that is sort of reactive and, I was thinking about it more recently, um, recently still. And I like really trying to look at myself and watch myself being reactive and, or watch myself, like watch what happens when I get um, told no. Um, Just so embarrassing when I get told I can't have what I want Mm -hmm. um, or I have to have something I don't like. And I, realized that I have always had the feeling of like, this is bullshit, but I was better. I've been like very good at like the impulse control thing. Like I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to have, I'm not going to express that this, um, you know, and that more recently when I've been more I don't know, maybe it's because I've, you know, given myself permission since I'm a six, I can be reactive, or maybe it's because I'm older, or maybe it's because I'm more mature, or because I've done some inner work, I 
can feel a little bit more like I can, I mean, and some of it is like, I can take up space with my reaction. I can take up, I can take up space with my opinion when someone says something that I think, you know, that I think is, is stupid or dangerous, or, you know, I, I can actually say that. Right. Um, this is, uh, partly I'm rationalizing something about having two positive outlook types in your trifix underpinning, um, the natural reactivity of the six plus you have the seven wing. So triple positive adjacents, you might say, mm -hmm. um, and that might just have a softening or mitigating effect on the, a core reactive thing going on. Mm -hmm. But, I could see that. you know, my experience of you, even just when we first met, you were, I mean, one of the first things out of your mouth was, I was asking about being a doctor and you were like, well, I just, you know, because of the way the medical system is, I just can't do what I need to do, you know? <laughs> and, it's true. um, you know, part one, one way to frame up re what reactivity is, is negativity. It's like pointing out the thing that's wrong about the mm -hmm. thing, um, or what people aren't seeing or whatever. And I think that's especially right. true for like tapping people on the shoulder, that whole thing about the six, like, Hey, everyone wake up to this thing that's going on. Right. Right. Um, yeah. so that's one piece of it. Um, and that's, so that's just something I noticed about you right off the bat, but what I'm really interested in too, in terms of reactivity is like how reactivity isn't just a, I don't know, um, a philosophical stance on like wanting, like wanting to call something out, but like, and in the moment's reflex or response to mm -hmm. something. And that's where I'm starting to get like, my curiosity is really peaked about how you experience, um, a reflex, just knee-jerk need to say something to like call something out in a moment when, you know what I'm saying? Like, do you get activated where like, if you see someone doing something stupid or saying something that you disagree with or whatever, um, do you feel compelled in the moment to what call it out or set it straight or something like that? Yeah. I'm not always, but yeah, yeah. that's, um, yeah. Um, And it, it just like, it, it just, it feels so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, let's switch gears for a second. I'm, I want to talk about duty and responsibility and concern as themes for you. And I'm pulling specifically from, uh, just so for people who aren't familiar with any grammar universe watching, um, you submitted a typing video to the any grammar team. And then David Gray did a video commentary on your video. Mm -hmm. And one thing he pointed out was that, um, you know, if you pause the video at various moments, there is a, an expression that you're making of very clear concern or deliberation or something like that. And um, so I'd love for you to just talk about what it's like to, I mean, do you experience the sense of duty and responsibility and concern as yes. a baseline? Yeah. What, <laughs> yes. Yeah. So we're, uh -huh. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I definitely experience, I see, I see responsibility. Like I experience, oh my gosh, responsibility. Like I'm, I'm responsible for the whole damn world, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> it just very, I mean, I, I know I'm responsible for things I'm not responsible for. Like I feel responsible for things I'm not responsible for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all the time. And I'm, 
that's that's actually something I'm trying to work a little bit with myself on because I like professionally I am you know well other people other people aren't going to do it as well as me well maybe that's the case maybe that's not the case but maybe that is the case but even if other people aren't going to do it as well as you if you kill yourself because you're working so damn hard it's not going to matter how good a job you would have done at you know, managing Mrs. Jones' volume status because you're not going to be managing anybody's volume status because you're not going to be, you know, not going to be able to work to keep this up, babe. Mm-hmm. So, so that is something I'm, but yeah, if, if I can do something, I feel like I need to, um, like if I, if I can't, you know, yeah, if something yeah. needs doing, I'll do it. You know, I mean, I'm perfectly happy to have, like, I don't need I don't need the, like the spotlight. I don't need people paying attention to me. I don't need people thanking me. I don't like people to thank me, but I don't need people to thank me. I do. I just, if it needs doing, okay, fine. I'll just do it because it needs doing. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, definitely the sense of, you know, somebody's got to do it and, and it needs doing. And we're like all in this together and this needs doing. Yeah. Or we're all um, going to fail. And just, to point out also you have a double super ego type right the six and two in your trifix yes and yeah. and so the sense of obligation or need the if i feel i can i must um that yeah. seems to be strong in your that is very strong yes and i'm you know i have a pretty i have a pretty good sense of what a lot of crappy things feel like, and I, I don't want other people to feel like these things, you know? So, so there's also that, like, I do have a pretty strong sense of, of like, yeah, like I, I know what bad things feel like, and I, I don't want other people to feel bad things. If I can stop you from feeling a bad thing, that's, that's really nice. You know, if I can stop you from, from sometimes there's like even a sense of, if I can, if I can stop you from feeling a bad thing, that erases a little bit of the bad thing that I felt, mm-hmm. you know, so it's what, what is hard about letting that go? Like, why, why is it hard to shirk responsibility? <laughs> <laughs> oh, some of it is, this is going to sound so infantile, but it really is. Some of it is really as simple as it's just bad to shirk responsibility. Like it's like, like it really is a fairly, I, I, th- I feel like it really is like a fairly bedrock kind of belief that I have of, you know, doing what you can is, is good, <laughs> you know? Um, I, I, I like to spend time in, in, um, graveyards, of course, because of course I do, right. Cause I'm a success P that's part of the whole life cycle thing. I'd like to, to, I like to spend time in graveyards and you read people's epitaphs. And the one that I've seen that I really like is she did what she could. Wow. That's a pithy little statement right there. Yeah. 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 And I feel like that's, that would be, that would be an okay epitaph to have. That could be the um, religion of your trifix mm-hmm. maybe yeah 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 uh, yeah and one other actually that phrase i just remembered i got from david gray's commentary the religion piece part he also pointed out the 
six nine stem anti-narcissism thing and just to frame that up it was like it's like a sense of i'm an awareness that i'm actually not that big a deal in the grand scheme of things i'm just Mm -hmm. a steward of something maybe and and i'm aware of that and i'm not trying to be too well narcissistic i'm not trying to take up too much space i'm not trying to be that too flashy i'm just like here to serve do what i can that sensibility um Mm -hmm. yep and i actually i really want to hone in this idea of narcissism um or just being making it about you (laughs) you know like do you have a like what's your relationship with doing things for yourself um or pleasure or um taking up space well, it has been, it's been something I've had to spend some time really working on. When I was talking about doing some nine work, that was, you know, the idea of taking up space is definitely something mm-hmm. that I spent, that that was definitely part of that. The idea that it's, you know, it's okay to take up space. It's okay to use resources. It's okay to get what you want it's okay to, even if it's not what someone like even if it's not consonant with what everyone else wants it it's okay mm-hmm. um so yeah that's yeah um that's definitely been a real that's been a real challenge for me that's been something that I've worked on and it's it's funny as I come a little bit more into that what the hell was it I had I had an experience the other day where I don't, I'll just use the standard example of what do you want for dinner that, you know, it's like, okay, what are we having for dinner? And I was like, well, I didn't exactly say whatever you want for dinner, whatever you want, but it was, it was something along that lines. And I realized that like, that's actually really an annoying response. Like I hadn't, like people have told me this before, but I never really kind of understood, but that's actually a really annoying response because the person, the other person, it doesn't help the other person at all. Like, and maybe uh. they actually want to provide, maybe they're feeling like they want to do something nice for you because maybe they have some bad news they're going to tell you. So they really want to get dinner from a place that you really like. Well, you've, they, you they can't do that because you're just not going to tell them. Yeah. Um, or maybe they like actually want to have a relationship with me and not, not like with some sort of miasma, like, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like, that's actually not, not a helpful answer. And I, it was like, like the light bulb went off finally. And it's like, Oh, that's, I get that. Like sometimes my, um, I've told the story before, but I don't think I've told it to you. Um, when my husband and I first got together, um, I was like, oh, I was very, you know, like, you know, he would be like, do you want lasagna for dinner? And I'd be like, and I'd say, sure. And it took him, because he's, he's a pretty smart guy. It took him like not very long to figure out that when I said sure, that meant yes, no, I don't care. Hell no. That's the best idea ever. Like it meant all of those things. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was just like a totally non-committal answer that could then be warped, morphed into whatever answer was going to work f- 
for what he wanted. A, um, and yeah. yeah, and he actually what? stopped yeah. accepting that as an answer fairly early on in our relationship. Uh-huh. And that was a really, really helpful thing for him to do. Yeah. So it strikes me about that way of learning about yourself is that it is sort of justifying your own or us or giving yourself permission to begin expressing yourself through the lens of the impact on other people. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, it's a, it's a fascinating kind of roundabout justification. It's not, it's not like I'm allowed to just cause I'm allowed to. It's like, yeah. well, I ought to express myself because that makes the impact that I have on other people more palatable or right. less, that will make less burdensome. Yes. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's, yeah, it's, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> right. you found me out. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so, I mean, it really, I, like, I want to just, at, like, okay, I'm just going to, this is a question that's going to burrow in there, I think, but, like, what what is it like to consider that you're just allowed to because you're allowed to? Um. Yeah, I can, I can, can do that intellectually. Yeah. Um, but that's, um, that's an example of an area that I feel like is pretty active right now for me in terms of my emotional growth. Yeah. Okay. So it's like kind of a hotspot or a a, a sensitive point. Yeah. 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 And I might be able to, I might be able to come up with something, but that's, Hmm. um, and then I think that's related to, um, that's related to the, the instincts more, um, you know, where, or as an, as a sexual blind, like I am really largely clueless about what the hell I want, you know, what the hell I like. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. 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 So to some extent, like, I mean, sometimes I have like, sometimes I have ideas about what it might be ideas, mm-hmm. of course, um, about what it might be, but I, I'm not like, like, it's not, it's not that often that I really know. Right. You know, and I, I, I'm, that's actually something that I'm actively, you know, working on is trying to, trying to find the little teeny shreds, the little teeny threads of, 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 of sexual, instinct in me and um notice them and and you know give them little seedlings give them a space to grow a little bit yeah i was actually thinking of it slightly differently not that this is i'm counter proposing or saying that you're wrong but another Mm -hmm. way in is the are you familiar with the idea of the missing piece Mm -hmm. yeah so the whole three being the missing piece for six and i I love this missing piece idea because, I mean, as I understand it, the concept is that if you were to truly integrate the experiential knowing of the missing piece, it would dissolve your ego structure altogether. It's like the final, you know, I don't know, foundational thing that you just knock away and it's, and then you dissolve into 
whatever essence. But for the for the six, the missing piece being three, it's like I am the radiance and the glory. It is it's me. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> and I'm not it's not just that I'm allowed, but it's a gift and a celebration for the world for me to shine. <laughs> you know, that's and there's a so as a three, speaking as a three, it's like there's something that feels like so like I just I mean, I have six in my trifix too, and so that six nine anti narcissism stem. So there's a bit of an allergy, in a sense, to it still in my organism. But as a core three, there's a real alignment to that. Like I, I can I can feel the truth that right. At least I sense, I sense a wanting, a yearning for that. You know, to be my reality, and my experience of you or the way that you're framing this, like the fact that it's such a hot spot for you uh, and so sensitive territory is that it's like, um, uh, the opposite of a yearning or whatever that would be. It's like just to the, the, the invitation even to considering that as itself, like, (sighs) like it causes some like deep existential consternation for you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting to to think about. I'm thinking about, and maybe this is not an example of that, but I'm thinking about the, well, yeah, I don't know. I'll I'll, I'll think about that some more. (laughs) I'll just leave it at that. Okay. See, I don't want to take up too much space or time, you know, with my thinking. Oh uh, yeah, what I, what what happened there? What just happened when you were when you were sitting and thinking? Well, I was, I was first. I was I was thinking about what you had said, and then I was realizing that I was taking a lot of time, and that it wasn't going to be, you know, useful video and that, um, and there's also a way in which I felt like, well, maybe I'm not going to come up with anything useful. And, and then, you know, like, you know, it'll be embarrassing and, and Josh will think I'm really stupid besides. <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> So I, 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 you know, collect them all. Um, yeah. Hmm. Uh, I have no idea if I'm going to include this in the uh, final letter or not, but I find it fascinating how allergic we are to silence always. Right. I mean, in our lives. Right. But especially yeah. in recorded content. Yeah. You know, dead air is like yeah. the last thing you want on radio or TV. And right. there's actually something about silence that 
I feel super drawn to. And even my experience at that moment was like, as you were sitting there and considering in that moment of silence, I noticed myself kind of drop into myself a little more. So it was kind of nice for me. Oh, well, if, if it's good for you, then we can, can be silent a little longer. <laughs> um, and I, uh, I do, I mean, definitely in medicine, like silences of, can be a really useful thing in medicine. Um, you know, we're so, we're definitely so programmed to talking, 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 and, and being silent with someone can actually, you know, be a tremendously powerful thing. Mm -hmm. um even for you know even for like five seconds mm -hmm. um and the other thing you can do with silence in medicine is that you if you are just simply silent like you ask a person a question and and you just like wait for their answer and you're like silent and you just don't speak people eventually will actually say something and and like you know, if there's a silence, it's probably something that they don't really want to talk about. And then they're finally going to actually talk about it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you can get really, sometimes you can finally get people to talk about the real thing, you know, oh yes. And I'm afraid that I'm going to die from this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When we connected for our initial chat, um, you shared your life story with me and it's quite an extraordinary life story from, from a lot of points of view particularly around trauma and what you experienced and how you moved through it. And um, it's probably too um, big and hairy of a story to contain on the podcast, but um, just, you know, as a headline, it's like kind of uh, capital T trauma kind of situation. Um, and you have a remarkable level of interiority and um, self-regulation, it seems to me, that uh, is a marker of having moved through it in a really profound way. So I'm curious, yeah, you're welcome. Um, what what happened um, for you after the big T trauma that helped you move through it? And what did you, how do you, what, what's your, what helps you on your journey? And if you want to give any sort of indication of what it was, I'm not trying to prompt you with this whole story, but whatever you want to say. Yeah. I wrote this piece um, that is um, kind of talks about this a little bit when about um, it's called, um, I don't remember if I, I don't think I sent it to you. It's called um, I'm a natural stoic, which is about my, um, sitting in the car with my foster mother when I was, um, I don't know, eight years old or so. And she said to me, um, like, oh, we were listening to, um, on a program on the radio about people who had been in Soviet prison camps mm -hmm. and, um, we were, and she was saying, you know, like, so, you know, if you were in a Soviet prison camp, or what's the one thing that no one can take away from you? Like if you're in a Soviet prison camp, they can take away everything from you, your freedom, your food, your, your water, your, you know, everything. But what's the one thing they can't take away from you? And um, the answer that 
um, she was hoping for, the answer for, for her um, was, for, for Loretta, was your memories, your happy memories was the answer for her. Okay. And I thought about that. And then we, the, the, I, you know, I thought about that. And it didn't feel like quite the right answer for me. Okay. And I, you know, I thought about it more and realized that for me, I mean, and certainly that's something that can't be taken away from you, of course. But like, I tried to imagine, like, if I'm in a Soviet prison camp, like thinking about, you know, some happy memory was really not. And honestly, I didn't have very many happy memories at that point in my life anyway. So thinking about happy memory is not not really something that's going to sustain me like that. That that didn't feel like enough. And then I, I thought about it and I realized for me what it was, was thinking about the fact that no matter how I was treated, I could still maintain my core of humanity. Mm-hmm. Like that was what would, I thought that's what, what would sustain me. Yeah. And then, you know, then I had sort of 11 years of not very pleasant life with them where that really was what sustained me that no matter what kind of horrible things were done to me, I did not become like my captors, my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, what, yeah, one other piece of this is you became a doctor kind of later in life, mm-hmm. or you decided to go yeah. to med school later in life. Yeah. And that that whole piece is just so interesting to me that you... Can you just share real quick that story that mm-hmm. go yeah. ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So I um, decided I'll, I'll condense the story. I decided uh-huh. during the postpartum period of my first daughter's um, uh, with, after my first daughter, I decided that I didn't want to go back to being a computer programmer. Yeah. And I started looking around for what is it that I want to do? I thought maybe I wanted to be a doula and I mm-hmm. volunteered at a doula training association and I was listening to people talking about a test that they had taken people who were in the doula program training program talking about a test that they had taken and um they were like trying to remember whose blood was in the placenta and i was like oh i know whose blood's in the placenta that was really interesting like all those sort of pseudo-medical books that you read when you're pregnant oh i could be a doctor i could be a doctor and it was like everything suddenly clicked into place and like this world that had maybe like been you know half a degree off of square was suddenly yeah square and and made sense how old were you when you had that realization 28 yeah 28 and so then you applied after that to med school Mm -hmm. yes yeah yep yep yeah yeah i think when i think about it i i wonder at least if that was not a body sensation knowing yeah there's something about that whole thing that is a deeper intuition i mean it's it smacks of something like that you know some something came through you you know and it was like oh wait no this is actually my orientation in the world this um and that image of all the puzzle pieces which weren't really kind of connecting before all of a sudden clicking into place um you could call that gnosis or something. I mean, that's like, mm-hmm. yes, um, yeah. a body knowing or a mental, whatever it is, it's, you know, something really yeah. aligned yeah. and yeah. 
you know, there's something about your story and just your way of being that feels um, heroic to me <laughs> in the sense of like, there's a, you know, what you, what you suffered through early on, early in your life. And then what you were able to turn that into in the alchemical process of your own inner work to the, <laughs> to the devotion you have now as a doctor and just the really, it just feels to me like your 692 trifix constellation is really singing through your life now. I mean, the whole way that your life is organized mm -hmm. um, and particularly through the, through the profession or vocation of being a doctor mm -hmm. feels like there's a real just fit, you know, like you, you kind of found your calling and, and you followed it. Yeah. Um, and that also feels like kind of, you know, another piece of the puzzle or anchor point in your story that helps you kind of process and move through all the trauma um, mm -hmm. to where you are now. Oh yeah. Does that feel right to you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. The sense of like, like I was talking about before, like, Oh, if I can, if I can help, like I can help this family deal with this death and yeah. like, that's like helps a little bit erase, you know, the, the trauma associated with my mom's death or mm -hmm. with, you know, mm -hmm. if I can, you know, and, and I, I definitely can see like, Oh, if I can help this family, if I can help this person and this family have a good death, I, I can see that that's something that affects multiple generations. Mm -hmm. Like I, I can see that from my own life. And so when, you know, when I do that, of course I, course i want to be obsessive about being sure i've done everything i can and done it as well as i can because because it's something that really matters yeah yeah you know but yeah and because it's something that it that i yes that is personally connected to to me yeah um, yeah so yeah um beautiful thank you yeah um is there anything about sickness or yourself that we haven't covered that you definitely want to hit? Um, hi, well, I'm sorry we're coming to an end so soon. Um, you didn't ask me what it was like to be, um, to hear myself introduced. Oh, that's right. I didn't do that. Yeah. Um, I, I think I'm like moving away from that question actually. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Because I, you know, I thought about it the whole, like, I, I thought about that, like, okay, so when Josh says that, I'm going to like, then I'm going to know that I'm like really being interviewed by Josh <laughs> when, I, when he <laughs> says that. Yeah. And, and what am I going to say? How am I going to answer that question? Is my answer going to be good enough? Is it going to be like sexy enough? Is it going to be, um, you know, is it, is it going to be like, like I've thought about it so much and known that he's going to answer and imagined what it would feel like to hear him interviewing or to, to hear him introducing me. So am I going to, is my answer going to be so contaminated by, by my anticipation of it? Or is it going to be authentic? <laughs> yes. <So laughs> and you didn't even ask me and I didn't get to hear it. It's very disappointing. Yeah. I was all looking forward to that. And what a great six answer that is, right? I know. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so funny. Yeah. Um, 
Wow. Well, that might be actually the clip that I start that I lead with. Actually, we'll <laughs> we'll see. That's so funny. Yes. Yeah. Yes. There's there's a way that I mean, just for me, like the um, the way that I do these interviews. Um, the reason I'm stopping that question is is because what I noticed is that my asking it was activating a certain kind of like i don't know performance mode or something like it's like a question i've asked too many times and so so now i like i have to keep it um i have to keep varying it up for myself to prevent myself from going into uh a kind of inauthentic three land Mm -hmm. that makes sense to me yeah yeah so how do you feel now um, well, I'm disappointed to be done. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I actually feel a little bit nervous. Like, oh, did I, like, I feel like, oh, I, I, maybe I missed something. Maybe there's, but we didn't, we didn't talk about attachment. What did I, you know, maybe there's something else I didn't think about that, that we should have talked about that we didn't talk about. And, mm-hmm. and what more could I have said? And, and, you know what, what, you know, what could I say now that would, you know, reverse people's opinion, people's impression that I'm an idiot. <laughs> it's too late. <laughs> yep. It's all done. It's too late. It's so, done. <laughs> so I, I feel, I actually feel nervous now when I didn't really so much at the beginning. It's funny. That is fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for doing this. Um, yeah, yeah, I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, it's great talking to you. And I appreciate your, um, yeah, your willingness to reflect in real time about yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thank and you. yeah, no, thank you. So, it's fun. Okay. Okay.